Good morning. Good morning. Please be in prayer for all the folks at Grace who are on vacation. There's a lot of them. And uh, do you pray for folks that are on vacation? I hope you do. There's a lot of crazy drivers out there. There's a lot of people using their cell phone when they drive. There's a lot of people that fall asleep when they drive. It's always good to pray for safety for God's people while they're driving. Pray for their safe return. Uh, Rick Romero came through his open heart surgery well. Amen. Praise God for that. Are you praying for him? Karen Wong faces a major surgery tomorrow. I think it'd be wise for you to pray for her today and throughout tomorrow. As she uh, prepares and then heals from that uh, major procedure. And I want you to pray for Simon Richard. We did so Wednesday night. I want you to continue to pray for him. And, um, don't mean to call you out and embarrass you at all, but um, it's God's will that we pray for him at this time as the doctors seek to clarify a, a diagnosis and how to help him as he endures through this health challenge. And, uh, so thank you for allowing me to mention those three saints that are among us and with us as they heal and face more testing and surgeries and so forth. Uh, Pastor uh, Derek Settles is here uh, with us today with his family. They're vacating, and I know pastors just love it when other pastors call them out when they're there to vacate and, and just uh, enjoy a worship service together. But Past, uh, Pastor Settles has been a longtime friend of mine, um, a friend of Grace and Arch Ministries, and he's the senior pastor at Calvary Baptist in Huntington. Pennsylvania. I don't know where he's seated, but I'd like Pastor to come on up and ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word. And um, if you can, come on up. Hi to your whole family. I don't think I've seen your wife yet, but I see her there now. Good to see you. Not all the kids. And um, you could have said no, although I know you wouldn't have. But uh, I'm glad you're here, and we're honored to have you. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks a lot. All right. worship you today. Uh, thank you so much for your amazing love that you have shown toward us while we didn't deserve it. Thank you for the grace that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the, the blessing of knowing that our sins have been forgiven through the finished work of Christ. Thank you for the strength that you give us each day to know you more, to love you more, to grow in our understanding of who you are and what you expect of us. Lord, I pray that as we come together as a church family today, that we would truly give you honor and glory in every aspect of the service, that we would listen with ears that really want to hear what you have to say, and that we would grow and become more and more like Jesus. Thank you for this church family that you've placed here in Mentor, Ohio. Thank you for the blessing of Pastor Potter, that he has been to this church family, but also to many around the world. Lord, I pray that you would use him in a special way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Good to see you. Look forward to spending some time with you afterwards. My heart's full on a lot of things. So sometimes pastors, when they're going through book studies, they do think about other texts to preach in time when they're going through the book study that they're enjoying, preparing and preaching. And so 
when, I, when that happens to me, I just, I just keep a list of things that I would like to preach on. Only take advantage of doing that in between book studies. So for the next couple weeks, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, before we dive into the Gospel of John, and we've never had the opportunity or privilege of preaching on that Gospel in a morning or evening service in the last 16 years. Um, we'll do that, God willing, in the weeks ahead. But for the next several weeks, I would just like to preach on, to you on some observations that, that uh, God has allowed me to, to, to glean and as I read and devote myself to Scripture. And, and um, as I know you do the same, you put special burdens on your hearts when you read and when you have the opportunity to teach and so forth. And, um, and disciple. Um, so this is going to be my personal heart to you as a flock of what God challenges my heart with in relationship to you and, and what an encouragement you are to me. And, um, this is going to be an overview of a large part of the New Testament this morning in a particular direction. Next week we'll Consider one particular observation of the book of Titus and a, and a word and a phrase that's used often in that book that I think it's just uh, good for us to review. But nonetheless, here's one of probably three different sermons that aren't going to be in the realm of a book study. And um, I hope you hang out for the next three weeks together. One hymn that always impressed my heart while I was growing up as a kid was not I but Christ not I but Christ be honored loved exalted not I but Christ be seen be known and be heard not I but Christ in every look and action not I but Christ in every thought and word oh to be saved from myself dear Lord oh to be lost in thee Oh, that it may be no more I, but Christ that lives in me. Just like the scripture, the grace of God allows the truth of what we sing to be gradually absorbed by our souls. And just like he allows when we hear the teaching and preaching of God's word, we're able to gradually understand it and allow Christ to press us into his likeness. I'm so thankful for the patience of the Lord in this respect. He, he does allow Christ to be formed in us, as Galatians 4 says. As we learn of Christ, his grace tutors our souls to live less and less for our own efforts or more fully for his. We memorize verses like Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's juxtaposed to Christ, we find ourselves to be the greatest sinner in the world, and we're amazed by his mercy, as the scriptures say, that so in us as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him unto eternal life. 
Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. He's not only the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of our salvation. He's the grace that is the life that we live in him from the first day of our salvation until now. That's Paul's heart in Philippians, isn't it? In view of your participation, he says in chapter 1 in the gospel, from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. We all know initial sanctification. That's when we're born again and placed into the perfection of Christ. We're declared holy by God in Christ. Then begins the journey of learning of grace as we're molded into the likeness of Jesus Christ until we breathe our last and we're like him at that point for we shall see him as he is. But in the middle, the space between our conversion and death, what a patient and persistent work of God's grace is done in our soul. So it's no wonder that the majority of the New Testament literature that we've been given begins and ends with a mention of help from heaven in the form of the word grace that we all know comes to us by the Spirit of God when we're regenerated, when we're born again, and from the day again we're born again, we're pressed into the likeness of Christ. Grace saves us and it's grace that consistently changes us through the glorious agony of sanctification as we live our everyday lives. It takes a while for us to learn what it means to humbly live Christ each day. We all go through times after we're saved where we kind of forget Christ because we're doing so well with all the blessings he's given to us. We kind of go in our own ability and our own strengths and when we do read the Bible or hear it taught or preached, we think, boy, if so-and-so could only get this truth or mercy if brother or sister so-and-so could only own this truth, that would really change their lives. And you know, it's, it's never really healthy to read scripture and constantly make its application to someone else's life before your own. But we're carnal like that when things are good. They're good for us. And they're tough for someone else so we examine why they're tough for someone else, and there must be some kind of spiritual reason why. And we believe in that fleeting moment that we're kind of done a good job with our own lives. Then, well, we're just like Job's friends, right? When things are good, we must be walking with God, and when things are bad, it must be because of someone's sin in someone's life. And the reality is the godliest, the godliest can struggle the most. And sin sick can swim in crystal clear waters of success too. We don't want to go there again, right? So when grace is our tutor unto Christ's likeness, whether things are good or bad, we're pressed to forget those things which are behind and to move forward under the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So that's what we do. Whether we're under the sound preaching of God's word being taught, or whether we're in personal Bible study, we pursue Christ. We allow his grace to mold us into someone, not ourselves, but into Christ. 
If you ever visit Florence, Italy, and some of you have, you're probably going to put on your priority list to pay your way into the Academia Gallery where Michelangelo's David stands. In the whole layout that leads to David, if it remains the same as it was 31 years ago when I visited it with my wife on our honeymoon, you would walk by many sculptures Michelangelo began and then stopped and left unfinished. It's amazing how far he got on some and then just quit. It's equally amazing how quickly he tired of another. Many, many sculptures that he began that he just stopped that are left unfinished. And they're left in that hallway lining either side of the hall for a purpose. Purpose to really, in the artistic professional eye, to make sure everyone understands that that imperfection can lead to perfection. Because at the end of that long hall, you can see the sculpture of David standing. But along the way, you just have the opportunity to stop and look at sculptures unfinished. Sometimes it was just a, a block with a couple notches knocked off. But something wasn't right, so he'd move on to the next block of marble and, and try again. Walking through that hallway, and even to this day I can remember thinking, wow, that's kind of like what my spiritual growth has been like. Long, long way away from being perfect. Along the way, God's grace just nudges and polishes and pecks away again, chisels away again at my life, seeking to compel me to not live in my own strength, but to live in his, to constantly be reminded that I'm nothing of myself and Christ is everything in his perfection. But somehow, as I constantly realize my own imperfection, I am compelled by grace to seek his. I've watched this heart set developed in our flock like never before over the last three years. And that's what trials do, right? They break us down so grace can build us up and forward again. And we're thankful for that. But truly, folks, it's been amazing to watch God's grace press you and to grow us. His grace has been the guardrail. His grace has been the energy. And his grace causes us to gaze upon the goal of Christ-likeness. I'd like to take a few moments this morning to reflect upon very clear ways you, we've been strengthened in Christ that are mentioned in each New Testament book that has at its first and last thought the reality and even the word grace. As you study the New Testament, I'm sure you've seen that. If you mark your Bible or highlight it as you read it, you've probably seen that word grace at the beginning and mentioned at the end of every book we're going to walk through this morning. Everything we do, 
we're pressed by God's grace to do. It's a great reminder for all of us that when we sit down and read the scriptures, the Spirit of God inspired men to write the scriptures to believing people. When the authors of scripture wrote, they assumed faith of the reader. They also assumed that as a result of the reading, there would be growth that would be the fruit of the reading. And as they read and as they grew from their reading by the influence of the Holy Spirit, there was a, there was a longing for a greater and deeper relationship between the author and the reader. This is all done by God's grace. Yes, each author wrote for a maybe a different purpose or for a different reason, but they wrote about what a grace-filled life is and what it does. And so we've had the opportunity to shepherd together as pastors here. We've had the opportunity to watch God's grace bookend your existence as well and develop it. As we see life developed, playing out in these scriptures, in these books that begin and end with the word grace. So let's do this. Let's go through these books real quickly. And I want you to know from your pastor's heart what has been most amazing about God's grace as we've watched you grow in that grace. So we're not going to preach through all the content of all these books. I'm just going to talk about how God's grace, I feel, has been challenging and changing you and me through different sections of each one of these letters. And I hope it's encouraging to your heart. Romans chapter 1 and verse 5 and Romans 16 and verse 24 both mention the word grace. Early and last. This book is bookended by grace. And when I think of our flock and grace, the book of Romans in particular, my heart jumps to chapter 8 and verse 35 in relationship to the last three years. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or perils or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were Considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, the book of Romans is a treatise of God's grace of the gospel. We preached through that several years ago. But when I think about how God's grace has developed you saved people here at Grace Church of Venter, I find the people who collectively have given Romans chapter 8, verses 35 and following, a big old bear hug in the last 36 months. Amen. You've owned this, not just by memory but by conviction that in Christ you are secure. 
And in Christ we have rest, both now and forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, and 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 23, the beginning and end of that letter, mentions the word grace. When I think of the church of Corinth and this particular letter, and how God's grace challenged her and developed her, this is what stands out to me about you folks here. Because you endured our time's most prolific potential opportunity of division among God's people. Paul addresses division first in the Corinthian church. But I thank God in every remembrance of you that you did everything possible in your person to remain together in the last 36 months. Those who persevered exclusively see Christ over the other's shoulder. You've been pressed of grace to maintain that singular identity in him and to God be the glory. In the middle of the mess of the past three years, you've sought to maintain the purity of the church too. Paul challenged these believers in 1 Corinthians 5 to do just that. In addition to all the other prescriptive ways in which he confronts the body that was in trouble in Corinth. You have valued the body's nature and its influence in your life. You've realized that every soul here is as essential as the other, as 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 would teach us. The body is weak. The body's weak, weakened, without even one of its members. You valued the body's influence in your life, and you didn't marginalize yourself from its presence, even if you were in quarantine. You pressed to be together for Christ's sake. Grace did that. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 and 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14 mention the word grace. We were all challenged to value the eternal over the temporal in this time. We preached that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5 last year where Paul clearly settles our hearts to know the reality of the earnest of the Spirit and the grace that God gives to prepare us for seeing him before the Bema seat. And when the hardest times come, the faithful in Christ rise up to the top of virtuous living. Rather than being dragged down into the muddy ditches of false identity, and they're reminded in chapter 5 and verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You became the most gracious flock, the most generous flock I've known in the 50 years that I've grown up here. In the furnace of the pandemic, we realize God's grace presses to care for the flock and to make sure its cause and its purpose moved on. Now, enduring the largest inflation of our time, 
Some of you are struggling even to put a full tank of gas in your car. Some of you are having a hard time putting a full meal on the table. Some of your families. Some of you are challenged to not being able to, to even buy a birthday present for your grandchild. And yet you still find your way to generosity. In the pandemic, we had the largest measure of generosity we've ever seen in this church's history. Now nearly post-pandemic, we find ourselves in another superlative, a once-in-a-lifetime hike in the cost of living. And you all, by God's grace, are being pressed to make sure that the cause of Christ and the intentions of Christ through you, through this church, are fulfilled. And while we all may hurt individually and collectively as a flock in the early part of this year, already we're finding a regrouping and a regathering and a moving forward to make sure that the cause of Christ being formed in you and then the, the cause of Christ being formed in us unto gospel purpose is supported. I'm confident like this year, like the pandemic year, this year we will wrap up farther ahead than we were, we were in the previous. That's just what God's grace does. Remember the Macedonian example? When I think of the Macedonian example in 2 Corinthians 8 9, I think of you. Because many of you tell me your stories. Many of you tell me what you choose to do for the cause of Christ, regardless of your circumstances. And where there's a body of people that choose to do right with what God's given them because it's about eternal purpose. The Spirit of God has His way. Think of Galatians chapter 1 and verse 3 and Galatians chapter 6 and verse 18 where grace is mentioned again. You folks allow God's grace to maintain a pure gospel here at Grace Church of Mentor. Never before have I seen the temptation of God's people to passionately adopt the different gospels. And you know what they were. They're still out there. Political gospels, social justice gospels, scientific gospels. They were all preached. They were all generously, financially supported. They were proclaimed from every digital and practical pulpit known to mankind. And they're all accursed gospels. They're all anathema. None can compare to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, where Paul says in Galatians 6, 14, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Amen. Period. All those other gospels fade quickly in the distance as you've chosen by grace to maintain a pure gospel 
a singular message, a singular pledge of allegiance as to your existence, which is the purpose and cause of Jesus Christ through this local church and other churches like-minded that we can work with to get the gospel out. I'm impressed of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 2 and chapter 6 and verse 21 where grace is mentioned there as well. You embrace the exclusive, glorious relations of your gospel as declared in the glorious salvation hymn of Ephesians chapter 1. You allowed that divine message to keep you from existing as two different bodies, as Paul warns in chapter 2. You strove to maintain unity as hard as it was, as mentioned in chapter 4. You sought to communicate well, love well in your homes, and put your armor on well. Each day we face the battles of our times together, and God's grace did all of that. God's grace compels us to do those things. I think of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 2, chapter 4 and verse 23, where grace bookends that small letter to the Philippian people. And I'm reminded how grace grew the Philippian church and how he's grown us. You allowed affliction, as chapter 1 and verse 21 says, to, to, chapter 1 says, to fall out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. You allowed grace to press you to remember the value of spiritual influence, the spiritual influence of another person here at grace. And that influence upon your own life in very personal ways. As many of you took the last three years as a challenge to not grow farther apart, but to grow closer together in Christ's likeness. Your testimony shined brightly before your neighbors and co-workers. Whether you were in person or in Zoom meetings. And as a church in our community... Even though everyone was separate for a time, you pressed to be together in cause in so many creative ways for the gospel's sake. God allowed your energy to be focused on contentment as well during that time. No matter what state you were in, as chapter 4 says, whether you had everything or whether you had nothing, Christ was enough. I think of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2 and chapter 4 and verse 18 where Paul reminds those folks from his prison cell that it's grace that has formed them to be what they are. As the Colossian church did, you found Christ to be incomparable. Paul says he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. God's grace grew you. Chapter 3 and chapter 4. God, grace grew you personally. Ecclesiastically as a church. Domestically in your homes. Vocationally in your jobs. And evangelistically in our community. That's what God's grace does in difficult times. I think of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1 and 
chapter 5 and verse 28 where grace is mentioned again. What did God's grace teach these folks in Thessalonica in these five chapters? Well, for the past 36 months, I've watched the flock in general seek to own their salvation to the point many pursued helping somebody else in the community and certainly in our church community live for God. Faithful is he who has called you who also will bring it to pass. I don't spend much time here because we spent a lot of time on that in January and early February. Our salvation does lead to local church and local community, spiritual reproductivity, both here and throughout our region. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2, and grace is mentioned in chapter 3 and verse 17. A couple lessons that God impressed upon my heart from this text in relationship to how grace has trained us. Chapter 3 says that we're to pray that the word of God would have free course and rapid advance and that the Lord would protect us from wicked and unreasonable men. And he has. I've never seen the word of God desired more than I have in the last 36 months from this flock that I've been a part of for 50 years. In so many different ways. In a time where people are being slaughtered in malls, in Sunday school classrooms, worship services, parade sidewalks, God's kept us safe from wicked and unreasonable men. Because you've prayed. You've prayed. And the desire for prayer is increasing. You enjoyed a month of prayer in February, emphasis on prayer, and we have another emphasis on prayer month coming up here in September. Each Wednesday night, we're going to have a guest speaker come on in and give us an exposition on prayer for 30 minutes, and then as a flock, we're going to pray for another 30 minutes. Your prayers have been answered. Keep praying. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2 and chapter 6 and verse 21, grace is mentioned again. I've seen you all have a Christian's heart, a Christian's heart towards anyone who rules in our country by God's choosing. That's been a blessing to see. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, would have us pray for these people, these kings, these rulers, all those who are in authority. And, and what do we pray? We pray for their salvation, that we might have what? A quiet and a peaceable life. Those Greek words are very, very particular quiet life within the church and a peaceable life in our society. No matter who's in charge, we pray that what? 
as the text says, that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You realize together that on our knees in prayer, we have the greatest influence in the world. Far beyond any president, any prime minister, God moves when his people pray. God, as the prophet says, take no pleasure in the death of any wicked person. And I've seen our flock come to that same conclusion. I praise him for his grace developing us in that way. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2 is a mention of grace as well as chapter 4 and verse 22. If you'll read with me there in 2 Timothy real quickly, chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 10. You followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance, persecutions, and suffering, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Many of you endured unprecedented times of attack on a very personal level in the last three years. When the world's falling apart, so is your marriage. So is your relationship with your brother or sister. So is your relationship with your child. When the world couldn't get uglier or darker or harder, it did. And Satan knows how to discourage us the most when it's those he attacks that are closest to us. All those who live righteously will be persecuted. But as you are persecuted, as you have endured, you've been equally pressed by God's grace to persevere as Paul knew Timothy had and the Ephesian church had. Titus chapter 1 and verse 4 and chapter 3 and verse 15, grace is mentioned. What in Titus was that of God's grace that I think developed us the most? Out of all time in my history here, I think we were pressed to listen to our older folks more often than we ever had. In times of crisis, whether you're Rehoboam in the Old Testament or you're a young man or woman in the New Testament, in Titus chapter 2, in times of crisis, in times of unbelief, in times of other gospels being preached that are accursed, that the world screams that we need to hold on to adopt, that our emotional or physical salvation, you were pressed to listen to God's old people. And that kept us on the straight and narrow. Let the younger listen up to the older. Let them follow their example as long as they're following Christ. And their wisdom was priceless in so many ways for me and for us throughout these last three years. And my friends, you were pressed to perform good works among the flock and in the community for the gospel's sake 
God knows those deposits of love and he's using those. As a matter of fact, in preparation for next Sunday morning sermon, I want you to read the whole book of Titus, if you want, on your time and under, underline every time the phrase good works is used. That's what we're going to examine next week. That's what God's grace has done through you folks. I just want to highlight for you in an expositional fashion that phrase throughout that book because it's been an observation and I think a blessing. Philemon, one chapter, and God's grace is still mentioned twice in the first and last verse. Excuse me, verse 3. Philemon 3 and Philemon 25. All of you that have been around Christianity for any certain amount of time know that this whole book is about one word that's not even mentioned in the book, and it's forgiveness. You know the story of Onesimus, Paul, and Philemon. Philemon's robbed. Onesimus robbed Philemon blind. Onesimus gets saved. Paul leads him to Christ, sends him back, and asks that relationship that had been tormented and destroyed by Onesimus' thievery of Philemon, for Philemon to accept Onesimus back as a brother in Christ. And at a crisis moment, grace was greater than the crisis. Grace is always greater than the crisis, my friends. Can we say that together? Grace is always greater than the crisis. The crisis that divides you, the unifying grace of Christ is greater. That's an axiom that's immutable. The crisis that divides you, God's grace is always greater to unite you. And forgiveness is all by God's grace. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2 and chapter 5 and verse 12. That's the next book where the word grace bookends the letter. The book of 1 Peter challenges my heart. A lot of things challenge my heart in this book. But chapter 3, what I, what I have seen in this church, God has done in marriages, has been absolutely wonderful in the last three years. Amen. Whether you find yourself to be a godly wife with a, living with a husband who's not, or whether you find yourself to be a couple that enjoys the realities of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6 and 7. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. It's with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Regardless of what domestic situation you find yourself in, only God's grace can develop Unity in a home that's divided, and only God's grace can develop Christ's likeness in a home that's not. It's been an honor for me to watch 
so many of you pursue Christ-likeness in your homes as the home is sought to be divided, as the home is sought to be redefined in our culture. All the gender identity issues, all the ways that we're legally being forced or being illegally forced to accept the reality of a, a redefinition of what a home is. By God's grace, you held on to what home is. Praise God for that. Amen. That's all by his grace. Because in a world that's seeking to destroy it and disown it and cancel it, you are seeking to be it and remain it. Praise God for that. It's all by his grace. And you know that Peter writes in a time when the churches across Asia and Asia Minor were enduring tremendous difficulty. God's compelled our homes to persevere. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2 and 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. The last letter of the New Testament where grace bookends its contents. How has God developed us in his grace at Grace Church of Mentor to the praise of his glorious grace. Well, my friends, if you have time to read verses 5 to 7 of chapter 1, I would encourage you to highlight the numerous virtues there that are developed among spirit-filled believers as they seek to persevere through difficulty. With diligence, we add to our faith, moral excellence, and your moral excellence, knowledge, and your knowledge, self-control, and your self-control, perseverance, and your perseverance, godliness, and your godliness, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. Follow the rest of chapter one and underline every time you see the phrase, these things in that chapter. They're all referring back to those seven virtues. And by God's grace, you'll notice in that context that those who embrace these seven things and endure to grow in them will have provided for themselves an abundant entrance, a glorious entrance into the presence of Christ when they breathe their last. Something about those seven virtues there that grace is very interested in. Second Peter chapter 3. You've gained a perspective. You've gained a perspective like I've never seen before. A big picture perspective in that you know the judgment of the Lord is sure upon all forms of unbelief. It's certain. And it's swiftly coming. But along with that knowledge, you have chosen by God's grace you have chosen by God's grace to understand verse 17. As you live by God's grace, verse 18 of chapter 3. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall away from your own steadfastness, but continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we're saved by grace.
We're grown by grace. All that we are and all that we do is only because of help from heaven. All of these letters that begin and end with the reminder of your divine ability to help us pursue Christ's likeness are given to us for our learning, but also for our encouragement. Help us, Lord, as we gather together as a local body to look around and just be amazed. Not only has grace saved wretches like us, grace is pressing us to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. As we see your will laid out before us in your word in each one of these letters. I pray, Lord, that this same grace we would take advantage of, we would know its ability, not our own, to continue to develop us in Christ's likeness as the next 36 months may be a little bit more difficult than the previous. We don't know. But your grace remains unchanging in its nature and in its purpose. And help us, Lord, as your people, help me to look at each believer here and find it easy to assume them saved. And therefore, easy to assume that the Spirit of God is working mightily in their heart either to convict them or to grow them. Pray, Lord, the same grace would compel me to, to long for enduring relationships with each person as we pursue in this glorious agony of sanctification Christ-likeness. It was easy for the writers of these letters, Lord, whether flocks were in trouble or whether they weren't, to assume they'd been transformed in Christ and to take the word of God and apply it to our lives, to love each other, to grow. Unto an eternal why, so that we might together live Christ's life together, that we might do his mission together thoroughly, passionately, intentionally so that we stand before you maybe today we will gaze upon a savior whose cause we sought to live in our local church all by grace in Christ's name we pray amen